Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. Ryan Cummings is the director of Africa-focused political and security risk management consultancy, Signal Risk. Signal Risk provides intelligence and support to mitigate security risk in Africa by assisting organizations to keep their staff safe when they travel in Africa. But what happens when foreign countries are warning their residents not to visit our country? Earlier this week, the British government has warned its citizens that there is a a terror threat from extremists linked to the Islamic State, ISIS, here in South Africa. This after a couple were apparently kidnapped in KwaZulu-Natal in a case allegedly linked to terrorism. Ryan Cummings explains more. Ryan, welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me as always, Sharice, and uh, hi to all the listeners. Uh, Ryan, I know Fridays is a particularly busy day for you, and it's kind of when I imagine most people are traveling. So I really do appreciate you taking the time. Ryan, can you take us to the beginning of what is happening at the moment? Where did it start? Yes. Well, I think firstly, there's there's quite a lot of confusion uh, regarding this uh, so-called warning um, that the British authorities have issued. Um, If we actually do look at travel advisories and specifically those issued by the Foreign Commonwealth Office, we'll come to the realization um, that there was no warning that was issued. Um, what, what transpired was the British government had updated um, their country advice for South Africa to include reference to a kidnapping of two British nationals, um, and they listed that under terrorism. Um, reference to uh, suggestions that um, there could be terrorist attacks in South Africa and specifically in public facilities such as shopping malls, um, you know, and, and, and other and other such venues had already been um, cited by the British government as long as two years ago. And this started when the Islamic State um, issued a, a so-called Ramadan offensive um, in 2015. And what that meant was that a lot of foreign embassies where they perceived there being a terrorist threat was to issue a global warning just to advise individuals in countries that were perceived as being at risk that there is a heightened threat and that people should be aware when they are out in public. And as we have obviously seen in many countries, specifically France and Belgium and even Germany, um, you know, attacks that have been perpetrated by supporters or members of the Islamic State transnationalist group have specifically targeted crowded public venues. So in this recent advisory update, there was no specific warning uh, the UK government has not um, issued any restrictions for British nationals to travel to South Africa. All they did was to update the existing information, which was uh, the, the, the wording is exactly as it was since uh, about 2015, and just um, updated it with this incident of kidnapping, which has been linked to terrorism. Now, expanding on the linkage of this incident to, to terrorism, it appears that one of the individuals that has been implicated in the abduction um, was sought um, in connection with a recent counter-terrorism raids that was uh, initiated in Azadville last, uh, last year, and which led to the arrest of the so-called Tulsi twins, and, and uh, this individual was found to have breached anti-terrorism laws, and this was probably due to um, 
reports that individuals were in direct contact um, with supposed extremists or had some form of uh, paraphernalia or material that was deemed to be of a terrorist nature. However, authorities have been quite explicit to disconnect this kidnapping incident as being in itself linked to uh, to terrorism or linked to any transnationalist uh, extremist groups. They're dealing with these two issues as completely separate at this stage. And just the terrorism kind of you know angle to all of this stems from that one of these individuals that was implicated in the abduction has previously been um, you know under uh, the gaze of authorities for involvement in what they deemed was you know a breach of of South Africa's terrorism. Uh, um, legislation. That's it. We know so little about this abduction. Um, you know, information is still kind of um, you know trickling down. So we can't completely say at this stage um, that we can dis- associate the kidnapping, uh, you know, from Islamist extremism. But it di- definitely seems to be um, a- at this point that the Hawks, um, or South Africa's primary investigative unit, is um, you know is not linking the the kidnapping to um, any form of, of of terrorism at this stage. Well, I'm so pleased I had you on because it, it's so you clarified two very important issues. One is that we do not have to suddenly. Um, up our security because we're at the risk of a terrorist threat because that is what was clearly coming through in our media. Um, Ryan, earlier this year or late December, there was also talk of Iranians being trained here in South Africa. Is South Africa a, a, a fertile training ground for terrorism? I think there's a lot of evidence that suggests that South Africa's borders um, could serve as, as a hub for various forms of illicit transnationalist groups. So obviously the focus would be on terrorism currently, um, and I think that there's enough evidence to suggest that you know the, the, these major groups that we hear of, Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, um, they have a presence here, and their presence is possibly more for logistical reasons, so they could use South African territory uh, as a means of financing operations, possibly as a training ground, um, and as a means to kind of more support their terrorist operations in in other countries. Um, And there's always been a um, perception in the the counter-terrorism fraternity, if I can call it that, that groups who have established logistical and financial networks in countries tend to not actually conduct attacks within those countries' borders. Because if they do, local authorities start clamping down on those networks and actually it's of greater harm to the organization than a terrorist attack or once a terrorist attack would be, which in itself just has kind of um, transitional political currency um, or propaganda value, if I can call it that. So that has been the reasoning, and I think there's enough um, evidence to, to support that. But importantly, what we've seen with the preeminence of the Islamic State is that these groups, you know, the group itself, tend to call upon its members to carry attacks within countries on its behalf. And, and, and because the group doesn't necessarily operate with an entrenched or established um, network within any given country, 
Um, it doesn't have any networks that could potentially be compromised to counter-terrorism measures. So it just calls on individuals, on supporters to conduct this attack on its behalf. And I think that that is of a major concern to South Africa. We have already seen that there are South African nationals who have traveled to the Levant to fight on behalf of the Islamic State. Some numbers suggest as many as 150 um, have traveled to Syria, have traveled to Iraq. So it is quite evident that there is some ideological resonance of the Islamic State within South African borders, and we can never discount that that ideological resonance can actually translate in groups, um, or individuals, I should say, conducting attacks on the group's behalf um, within our country. Brian, we're going to take a short break, but after the break, um, I'd like to explore maybe other kinds of groups that are operating here in South Africa as well, and the relationship between them. Okay. Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. And I'm talking to Ryan Cummings, who is the director of Signal Risk, a a political and security risk management consultancy. Ryan, um, what other groups? You've mentioned ISIS. You've mentioned that South Africans are traveling there, possibly even more than we originally think. What other groups are operating here? Well, there's, there's been evidence, I think, you know, and all of this is speculative at, at this stage, but there's evidence that groups such as Al-Shabaab um, may have had a presence um, in South Africa, um, you know, Kenya authorities, Kenya intelligence, Ethiopian intelligence has suggested um, as much. Um, we saw, for example, during the Westgate attack in Kenya, there was a post-mortem report that was provided by Kenyan intelligence, and it was cited specifically in there that some of the assailants responsible for the Westgate attack had actually trained um, within South Africa's borders. Again, South African authorities have denied this. Um, the suggestions, for example, that Hezbollah, the Iranian um, militant movement, might also have connections in South Africa. Uh, specifically, we saw that the Pagad movement, um, you know, the kind of vigilante um, civic organization that was operational in the late 90s and, and, and the early uh, 2000s, um, had been provided some form of um, logistical uh, assistance from the Kibla movement themselves were seen as as a proxy of Hezbollah. Um, And then there's also been, you know, kind of um, suggestions that members of the wider Al-Qaeda network um, have, you know, a presence in South Africa, again, primarily for the purposes of financing. Um, So so those are the the main groups that, that, that tend to kind of pop up. Um, when you do speak about transnationalist terrorism um, in relation to South Africa. And would all of them be recruiting, or would they just, as you mentioned earlier, see South Africa as a, a place to plan other attacks? I think I think that, that they would have a myriad um, kind of uh, undertakings within South African borders. Um, and I think the, uh, the world of, of, of uh, transnational terrorism is, is quite murky. Um, but there's also a nexus that exists between terrorism and organized crime. We, we see it in, in many kind, in many different theaters. Um, and I think that, and, and that's the point that I, I also wanted to touch on regarding the last question, is that South Africa is a hub for various forms of, of transnational illicit activities. Terrorism is the one we focus on, but there's also the crime dynamic. You know, we, we see it on any given day, um, you know, where you have um, syndicates that are involved in human trafficking, involved in drug trafficking, in, involved in various other forms of, um, of illicit activity. And that's that is, um, you know, that is the primary concern uh, in South Africa is that, you know, terrorism is, is, is a security threat. We need to focus on it, but we need to actually look beyond, you know, um, individual uh, concerns and look to the wider 
security issues in our country, which is, you know, that our borders are, are too easily accessible um, and that South African passports and other identification documents are, are forged to the degree that it allows individuals to illegally access our country. Ryan, is there any overlap between terrorism and other illegal activities? I think in, in many cases, if we look at North Africa, specifically Al-Qaeda and the Islamic Maghreb, these groups finance themselves with kidnapping operations. They finance themselves through arms smuggling, through drug smuggling, uh, potentially. I, I think in, in many cases, if we really uh, get down to the, the bones of these organizations, um, we see that many of them fund themselves through criminality. Uh, there were suggestions that some groups, um, for example, um, Al-Shabaab, um, involves itself in the trade in the trade of cat, um, which is a specific type of, um, if I can call it, narcotic. Um, that's quite common in the in the Gulf of Aden region. Um, even speculation that they may be involved in the um, in, in in the wildlife poaching trade. But again, you know, this is this is all speculative. But but one can say with with a degree of um, uh, definitiveness that that uh, extremist groups, uh, rebel groups, non-state armed groups are often involved in criminal activities because they form the, the primary means of financing the insurgent and, and militant operations. Um, Ryan, maybe if we could just now then, before the end of the show, come back to the Tulsi twins who are still kind of waiting trial. Where do you think this will lead? Um, I, I think it will lead to South Africa developing very strong counter-terrorism legislation beyond what we already have and also the authorities to note that terrorism is increasingly becoming a global concern and that South Africa falls within, um, you know, within the, the increasing threat profile. Um, and hopefully also look at authorities to not just focus on the threat but also what the actual targets are and to provide communities um, and institutions and even individuals who are perceived as being at a heightened threat of, of terrorism, um, you know, the protection they need um, to, to mitigate that threat. And I think that this is, is important um, and, and, you know, you know, the, the Jewish community, as I've mentioned on the show before, is a high-value target. That is our, my assessment, it's the assessment held by my company. Um, and I think that in many cases, the, the Jewish community has been left on their own to a certain extent of protecting themselves um, against the, the threat of extremism. Again, you know, not saying that there's any immediate or definitive threat um, in South Africa in comparison to, to other countries, but I do think that if we do see terrorism activity in South Africa, Jewish interest is among the targets um, that groups would, would, would seek to um, to take out. And I think that this was almost reinforced in the case of the Tulsi twins who mentioned that mm. they were going to uh, attack the U.S. embassy um, and then also an undisclosed uh, Jewish school, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, Ryan, you, you're quite right. And indeed, our community needs to be vigilant at all times. And I'll give out contact details if they see any suspicious activities. But just, just before you go, what, what struck me when the Tulsi twins were arrested is the amount of kind of grassroots support that came out in favor of them, whether yeah. it was on Twitter, all the organizations that came to their system, even kind of now that their case was coming up, people standing outside in support of it. Who, who are their supporters? Well, I think it more, it more probably comes down to the support of the individuals um, at, at this stage. I mean, um, these were quite young boys. You would ex- expect them to have quite a, a wide uh, familial network, a wide uh, network of, of, of friends. They were quite active on social media. So I think in all of these cases, this is where it would, it would primarily stem from, from a more personal value, um, or per- more personal level, I should say. 
Um, but that doesn't, you know, negate the fact that there was some politici- politicization of this issue. You know, there isn't a very discernible ethno-religious dynamic um, to it as well. But I still think that this stands in uh, as, as an exception as opposed to the norm um, to what sentiments are regarding Islamist extremism, specifically groups such as the Islamic State, um, and that perceptions held by South Africans in general, irrespective of, of religion, race, or, or creed, um, is that the Islamic State and the ideology, or the ideology of any extremist groups, is certainly not welcome in South Africa, and is something that should be actively counted. Well, we have to leave it there. But, Ryan, again, thank you so much for sharing your insights. And certainly this is going to be a space to watch. And and thank you also for reassuring us that this is nothing new that's happening, but just a continuation of what we always need to look out for. Only a pleasure, Cherise. And thank you again for having me. It's always a pleasure. That was Ryan Cummings, who's the director of Signal Risk. If you see anything suspicious, please contact the CSO on 086-18018.